Hello and welcome to Unmasked, where we peek behind the scenes of the upcoming tabletop role-playing game, Demonology. The game is a work in progress, so rules may change, but the stories will remain. Welcome back. I am Siobhan. And my pronouns are he, him. And I'm Alex. My pronouns are he, they. So what did we do last time around here, Wilcox? Uh, well, we were talking about all of the people in Europe that we made up and that are real. We, we didn't talk about all of the people in Europe. <laughs> so that would be a lot. But we talk, talked about the ones that fucking mattered. Um, uh, so we also then... Had a look at the basic rules of the game, how you play it as a player. Um, but we're going to be going from a different angle about that today. Sort of on both. We're doing the we're doing the mirror version of both. Aren't Indeed, we? we are. Today we are talking about the basic medium rules. We've seen how you play as a guest. Now, how do you actually put together a game of demonology? But before we do that, today's law are about the biggest big bads. In all of Bonnie Europe, yeah, all of your all of your season of Buffy. Oh, absolutely! Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. These each of these is definitely a season of Buffy villain. Oh man, um, I'm very excited to start talking about them. Uh, mostly because it's like it's like your baby Siobhan. This is this is this is your bit of the book that I've I've like I've I've read. <laughs> I don't think I've contributed a single word to this chapter. I just really wanted to bring the most baroque level of evil i could and i think i achieved that and yeah definitely definitely <laughs> yeah so should we should we should we crack on with that absolutely We refer to these uh, collection of uh, the most wicked <laughs> as yeah. It's like what even <laughs> <laughs> in the book they're under the dread bounties, but there's ten of them, so they're referred to interchangeably as the dread bounties and the dread ten. These are the most wanted by the Inquisition. Uh, every Inquisitor gets given them a as a pamphlet when they start saying, if you see them, run away and tell us, please. <laughs> we need to we need to bring you all of the Inquisitors. <laughs> we need to bring all the Inquisitors. So the, um, yeah, my understanding also of this chapter is it's, it's a good framework for building your own big ass fucking bosses of like, if you want to, if you want to make a boss yourself, you you can add special uh, special axe combative. Uh, you can add special sort of like witch powers and abilities. You can add your own monsters that are unique to these um, uh, these dread ten or these dread bounties that you create yourself. They're sort of like a um, they're a framework of really horrible high end shit. Absolutely, we have three flavors of of dread ten. We have your witches, we have your vampires, we have your immortals. There are three different witches. Uh, 
technically there are four, but two of them are, <laughs> are, are one. one. If you've ever seen Codename the Kids Next Door, think think the family of darkness in that. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, <laughs> but it some scary. may pick it up. <laughs> if just one person picks up my Kids Next Door reference, I'm happy. Yeah, fair. fair. We have uh, three different vampires, and we have four different immortals. There are some names amongst the Dread Ten that you may recognize as uh, enthusiasts of the occult uh, or of fantasy. We were, we were talking about it before. I think there's one from each sort of like group that most people are going to get. And then there's sort of like a second tier that like you'll heard of maybe one. And then there's a tier of like, if you have ever even heard the name before. <laughs> <laughs> you've already won. You've already won the pub quiz. All you have to do is name it and you've have won. Have the little, have the demonology. <laughs> <laughs> But we're going to go into detail on uh, one from each of these categories. From the witches, we are going to talk about Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Which is a name that some may recognise. Do you recognise the name, Wilcox? Uh, Personally, from the book, yeah. But otherwise, no, I don't. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about, about Countess Bathory. In the book, she's referred to as uh, the Blood Countess. Uh, she's also sometimes as the Queen of the Night. So she has a she has a big opinion of herself. She is a summoner. Summoners, which is in the game, that work with uh, demons and bringing the power of hell about. The historical Elizabeth Bathory was uh, accused of being uh, a heinous murderer that. Uh, Bathed in the blood of peasant girls that she employed as maids. This... For, for the viewers, I'm nodding. Mm. Uh, I'm like, well, fair play. This is fun. This cannot be uh, confirmed or denied. This may have been slander. This may have been true. It was it was commonplace to slander one's enemies with the accusations of witchcraft. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things of like, you know... A, 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 a very you know rich and powerful countess in history um a would have been slandered with such rumors b would have had the power and money to have just done these things and the sort of you know detachment from humanity that um wealth and uh what your know, divine station <laughs> <laughs> um nobles had at that time would have sort of like given you that power to do so you know what i i, I believe it either way and what we do is we alt history it in actual 1606 on New Year's uh, New Year's Day, New Year's Day. Hmm. <laughs> leave it. I'm yeah. right. <laughs> uh, so the man her late husband had entrusted to look after her and her children, Georgie Thurzo, came to arrest her with uh, with a number of the Hungarian royal guard. In our timeline, she has vanished. So I'm I'm seeing Emperor Palpatine <laughs> uh, <laughs> with Kit Fistu, Mace Windu, and I don't know the other one. Oh, C Satin, C Satin, C Satin, uh, Man with the Big Horns. Honestly, all those yeah. characters get so much more life in the animated series than they ever do in the films. 
I have been recently watching Clone Wars. Ah, uh, in for a real uh, treat. In for a real treat. Uh, you, you're also in for a Kid Fisto's Jamaican accent, which I adore. Yeah, I've 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 just met Kid Fisto. I'm, I'm, but this is very. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so tell tell me about tell me about the Countess's um, legendary abilities here. Right. So. The Countess's legendary ability, she has she has two legendary abilities and one great power. All of the Jotun have two legendary abilities and one great power. Make it fair. Um, she is a blood bather. She uses blood in all of her black magic. And this has given her powers equivalent to certain vampires with their blood magic. She can make blood scythes. And she can suck the blood out of a person from a hundred paces away. Ooh, like blood bed. Blood bed. <laughs> um, mm. but, but nastier. Nastier. She has her second legendary ability is her coven, her Brides of Lilith. Which is three of her handmaids that es- escaped with her and her porter, a man called Janos. Ah, <laughs> uh, Janos. You're in over your head. Whilst her great power is tied directly to her desire to bring the Empress of Hell onto the earth and marry her. Ooh. Oh, I like that. That's yeah, nice. Yeah, she is the only witch in the game, at least canonically, whose patron is the Empress of Hell Lilith. It's, it's, it's monstrously, it's monstrously imposing. Uh, she keeps performing a ritual that involves summoning daughters of Lilith, sacrificing them to try to bring Lilith into being. So it's so imposing... She is sacrificing the most powerful demons in the game to try to bring about the most powerful demon in the game. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, I think. Uh, I don't know. If, I, 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 don't, I don't think we have any um, uh, characters who are, are patroned by Satan themselves. <laughs> so, um, so that's that's definitely the most powerful patron. That we've got there. And that's Elizabeth Bathory for you. Uh, there's the Blood Countess, Queen of the Night, trying to marry the Empress Lilith. Ah, oh, fair play to her. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. God's right, let's. Uh, <laughs> uh, th- th- those crazy gals, let's hope they get together. I do, I do not doubt that like there there will be campaigns where people are like, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> let's make it happen. <laughs> Oh, Countess Bathory, we're on your side. Let's 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 get you and Lilith to hook up. Let's help a sister out. Oh, fair play. So among our vampires, we have. Uh, I was saying to Wilcox, we have one who is so ancient. If you look her up, there are no images that exist of her whatsoever. When I was googling, I spell I missed one letter out, and it was like there are no such results. <laughs> <laughs> For any stu- uh, for any students of history and of ancient Babylon in particular, you may recognize, I don't know if you will, you may recognize Adagope as uh, the mother of the last king of Babylon. And Babylon, a famously um, quite nice place that had nothing bad happen to it, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. A famously a place that nothing ended in catastrophe. Mm-hmm. She was the last priestess and is the last priestess of a religion that no longer exists. Uh, the last priestess of the moon god, Sin, 
And no, I didn't make that up. It is just spelled like the word sin. Yee. <laughs> she sounds like a Dark Souls boss, I know. <laughs> she really does. Oh, mother of the last king of Babylon, last priestess of sin, Adagope. Yeah, absolutely sounds like a Dark Souls boss. Sounds like one that would make a bunch of players just like start hysterically crying after after the 17th time they couldn't beat her. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> uh, so, so Adagope, ancient um, priestess, what's, uh, um, what's she about with her, her abilities? Uh, with her abilities, she is the matriarch of sin, of course. Uh, she has proven herself most devious as a vampire matriarch. And she gets three different things she can do. One act hysterical, which is her creeping revelation. She turns up somewhere and she just sends people mad. Because she sends people mad in order to see the future using them. Yeah, yeah, she she, she burns through the minds of, 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 a human, of human targets to, to sort of clarify the space in their head so she may peer through the ether. I really like the um, uh, the idea that she's using minds like um, when you're trying to reveal secret messages on like a piece of paper. <laughs> just sort of like putting it over a candle and sort of like, oh, it's starting to burn through, but I can see the words. <laughs> so they become her mad seers. Uh, in combat, she can turn your allies very, very confused. Uh, making you attack each other. And she is uh, invisible. She just makes herself invisible in combat. She can't do both things at the same time. So if she's controlling your ally, she can't be invisible. But if she's invisible, it just makes it much harder to hit her. I think just like safest way to go about it is just everyone wear tinfoil hat. Her, her second leg- legendary ability involves those that she is driven mad. She uses her uh, her mad seers. And uh, she's able to see everything that a target saw during uh, a period of time the previous day or night. Yeah, very powerful. Very powerful. Very powerful. So it's really... It behooves a party to not let Adogape know that you are Inquisitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I feel like the problem is as soon as you get a whisper of Adagope being there, Adagope has definitely got a, a shout of you being there. <laughs> and uh, she has uh, I love the legendary ability, but this is sort of uh, because most of these come with an organisation. So one legendary ability mm-hmm. will always be the organisation they come with. And hers is her, co- her coven, her, her her clan, her house of sin. And <laughs> She's always traveling with with a household guard, and she's always uh, and and she can make neophytes because she is an ancient vampire. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, it's it behooves you to find her quickly without her knowing that you're there, because then she'll just start making vampires and sending people mad and seeing what you've been doing. And if everything goes really badly, her great power, um, they'll go around drinking the blood of people in the region, and then, under the light of the moon, she will be able to control the bodies of all those she and her house have drank from. Whew. Yeah, so, um, again, uh, keep keep the blood away. Keep the blood 
far away. <laughs> it's a containment thing. Mm. Uh, right, finally. Um, oh, I really, I really like, I, I've got to, like, you know, I, I've, I've said this off camera, but um, I really, really like what you've done uh, with this next one. Uh, I, I think this is great. We have our immortals, of which there are four, and we have, I would say, the most famous of these immortals is Mordred, true king of England, heir of Arthur. Uh, we did actually cover the kind of monster that he is uh, in the previous episode. He is a hogboy. Uh, yes, very good. But he is an ancient very ancient Hogby. We're talking like a hundred years before the birth of Christ. Ancient Hogby. So we're we're repping seventeen hundred years of life here. And yeah, yeah, that's um uh that's that's just gonna mean that he comes with a very, very large amount of uh undead around him. And a very, very well established uh Powerful Barrow. And if that weren't bad enough, because most Hogweed tend to, you know, stay where they're from, Mordred doesn't. Mordred considers himself, as I said, the true King of England. Mordred has a great, powerful house behind him. Of people that are alive who have been alive. It's an unbroken noble line for 1,700 years. Which brings us to his legendary abilities. Uh, one of them is that, being an ancient hogboy, he has uh, learned some necromancy from his half-sister, Morgan Le Fay. He can prepare... This, this is tangential, but sorry, have you seen the Sam Neill Merlin film? I have! Yeah, like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Ah, uh, not quite dreadful, <laughs> but like, I—it's—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. You said Morgan Le Fay, and it just—it fired some neurons. Uh, um, it oh, it's just—isn't it a mini series? It's—it's it's two. It's two sort of back-to-back films. Oh my um, god! Yeah, quite quite incredible. Um. Uh, but yeah, I just um, I, I, I just had to mention it because it's um, it's, it's yeah, oh, it's like it's early, very very early awkward film. It feels a bit like a B movie. <laughs> it's like Sam Neill was going to be Gandalf off the back of this. <laughs> so, uh, oh, it did not work well out the way that the way that he eyes. There, there are so there are so many great actors in that film, and no one no one comes off well. No, no. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I mainly thought of it because uh, the Morgan Le Fay is uh, is estranged. Helen uh, a bottom cutter. Yeah, Helen a bottom yeah. cutter. <laughs> there was there was her warming up to Bellatrix Lestrange for sure. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, but I apologise, you're talking about uh, the necromantic powers of Mordred. Absolutely. He he can prepare and cast spells by himself, though not rituals, because 
we need we we need some we need some restrictions on these monsters. <laughs> uh, and he can make night actions like spirit away and something uh, something wicked. So uh, Mordred and his barrow and his house can just kidnap people, as needs be. Uh, and as head of his great house, he's always accompanied by a few knights of Arkiv, who I'll come to. And sometimes a, a few of his house just travel with him. Which needs his life um, to his... Go on, go on. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what, uh, what he does with all of his stolen people. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, the, 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 the blood of Mordred, uh, that's his house. Uh, they can appear absolutely anywhere as adversaries without their honored patriarch, with or without sorcery, and sometimes they'll have knights with them. So the blood of Mordred is more of an existential ability. The fact that Mordred exists means that the house exists. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Order of Arkiv, as I mentioned. They're basically evil Presidium knights. Mm. I, uh, I really like their, their, their powers. They're very cool. Of um, just some elemental nonsense. <laughs> I worked out that there must be roughly about fifty of them Ooh, from the numbers I did. That's quite an order. That's quite an order. It's not you know like like the hundreds or thousands, but they they the main knights of Arkiv have all named themselves after knights of Arthurian legends. So you have Grandmaster Gawain, Geharis, Gareth, Agravain, Morholt. Anyone who knows who Cardock and Malagant are, again, can have the sticker from Demonology. <laughs> <laughs> Just wear that with proud. If you've got two now, very well very done. Very well done. But actually, in fairness, if you know who Morholt is, you can have another sticker. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, what yeah. did you do with the people, Wilcox? Uh, it's the king of many faces, of course. His his yep, his his great power. Uh, so how do you keep an unbroken noble line uh, living in the manner it's become accustomed for a millennia millennium and a half? I don't know how. How do you do it? How do you do it? Um, I've been I've been trying to work this out myself. Uh, as, uh... It's it's fraud. It's through fraud. <laughs> so he turns up in a place. They figure out who's going to acquire great wealth. Uh, they kidnap that person. Mordred takes on that person's appearance, uh, signs away the deeds to all of their lands and monies, and then a few days later, the person dies in an accident. <laughs> it always, it always, doesn't it? It always comes down to very simple legal, <laughs> like, uh, uh, or illegalities. Very small illegalities. Very mundane. It was like, oh, like how do you get Al Capone? Uh, <laughs> how, do you, how do you get Mordred? You got him on tax evasion. You got him on tax evasion. Uh, you could probably get most of the blood of, Mo- blood of Mordred on tax evasion and securities fraud. <laughs> <laughs> I I would I've I've got to see that campaign of like just just five player characters. That are all like investigators with like accountancy and trade, <laughs> trying to trying to across the country over the course of the last like millennia, put together a legal case against Mordred. I would I would definitely play that. I would definitely play yeah, that. That's that fucking stupid. I love it. I love Mordred's it. the kind of 
the kind of villain who what is the kind of villain who if it were the roaring 20s would definitely be in, in, involved in stock market fraud <laughs> and he'll probably get there to be honest right so we've covered some of those dread bounties in detail Elizabeth Bathory Queen of the Night Adagape Last Priestess of Sin Mordred True King of England uh, but uh, what is the purpose of the Dread Ten? You you covered it a uh, little, Wilcox. Do you want to elaborate on? Yeah, so they're they're nice sort of um, uh, evil villains behind your campaigns. You can you can have your um, uh, your crown demons that have made you know a bunch of different demons hands that you can string a campaign through, or you can put one of these guys behind it. You know you you can have your first scenario sort of starting to discover that. Um, for example, one one of the blood of Mordred are um, uh, leading things from sort of like the shadows, and then the second camp, the second set scenario is learning sort of like starting to track them down and see where that's going, and then the you know the third and final scenario potentially you're trying to you know, you're you're fully aware that you're going to be dealing with Mordred, and you're like okay how how are we actually going to approach this? <laughs> how do we put together that that legal campaign against Mordred? Um, <laughs> And so, and so they're, they're, they're good big bads to highlight multiple um, campaigns. They're also good sort of drop-in villains mm. to be like, oh, no, <laughs> go away. <laughs> Look, you can keep doing your thing. We can't stop you on that. Do it somewhere else for a bit. Please, God. Please leave. Please, please go. Right now, I am right by the end of a campaign that I... I'm oh, not a campaign. It's just a scenario. But it's been going on yeah. for a while. Uh, of a scenario <laughs> in the Isle of Wight. Uh, and the conclusion is... It may involve the uh, the summoning of one of the immortal Dread Ten. Ooh. Fuck. Because <laughs> I, was, I was playing this scenario a ways back before, before I got really busy... And um, I, uh, when when I was playing it, it was like, oh, there's something in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> oh, some badgers are troubling an orchard. Session. It's really kicked session off. Session nine. <laughs> Goddess of the earth and the harvest. Ooh, Ooh dear. All right. Yeah, fair play. It's that's that's that's. I think that's got to be the player's fault. <laughs> That's gotta be. There's there's a degree to which that could have been avoided. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of choices in that. So you know, using the dread ten as a punishment for really <laughs> reckless play is is also another way of using it. Um, saying, well, this this scenario has got worse than I thought. Well, <laughs> let's bring someone else in. <laughs> They're like um, doom vultures. <laughs> something really bad is going down they can't be too far away <laughs> uh, yeah yeah um, yeah yeah so is, is there anything you want to like uh yeah so you we talked a bit about sort of the structure of them of they've got these um they've got these legendary abilities uh you want to have a few of those if you're making one of your own and they've got a great power um, these should sort of reflect how the hands work, but also you want to give them sort of an order of their own with their own monsters and minions that may be unique to that um, dread bounty as well. So you know, when you put one together, Absolutely. you want to have those elements that reflect just those I 
really, really high-end powers. And I think that is the Jet 10 neatly covered. Yeah, lovely. Ah, uh, uh, I love them. The the rest are just as, um, just as deranged, just as dark and vicious and brutal. Some of them, like I, I read the page and I go like, oh, that's made me feel quite uncomfortable. I need to go lie down. Um, so yeah, there's there's some real there's some real rife stuff for uh, high end horror in there. Although uh, so, th- um, there is just one who I could describe basically as a good time guy. <laughs> <laughs> who isn't really who isn't really like an existential threat it's just sort of like oh your mate's had too much down the pub but your mate is also is also a legendary monster <laughs> uh yeah I, I think i can take a wild guess at who that is uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah fab let's 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 come back and let's chat about some uh some of the abilities and some of the um some of the rules for uh the medium and how that's gonna work Absolutely. <laughs> We're back into it. We're back into it with the uh, with with the with the meat and potatoes with the 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 pea soup. Uh, we <laughs> <laughs> oh, incredible. Stay to the end to find out why we don't know what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're talking about the rules um, that are on the, the, the back of house. These are the rules for the medium uh, that the, the player characters will see the impacts of but will not engage with uh, quite as directly. So we're going to be talking about um, that... Um, that timeline, the, the the sort of like the ticking clock of the game, how you can measure all of the world, and also how you structure the um, each sort of like act of play, each session of play, but also each um, uh, uh, each movement, each scenario and campaign that you're going to play. So, uh, Siobhan, let's 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 crack on open with um, that ticking time bomb, hysteria. We talk about hysteria a lot in this game. It isn't just a word that we're saying. It is a mechanical fact. People are getting very hysterical with a capital H. Every time something bad happens, hysteria rises. Every time something magical happens and is seen and has no explanation that isn't just, oh God's sorcery, hysteria <laughs> rises every time... Perhaps sabotage is seen, a fair is seen, strange thievery, anything unusual, anything horrible happening raises hysteria in the game. There's um there's also a mechanic that sits alongside it which sort of emphasizes all of this, which is public opinion. If everybody in the in the in the region is a big fan of you and you've you know you've come around and you've you know, sorted all the problems. You fixed the hole in the wall that the werewolf caused. Um, then public public opinion is going to rise, and it's going to make hysteria rise at a slower rate, especially with the stuff that you're doing yourself. 
If, however, you're coming in and, you know, trashing a person's house and trying to make sure that you, you get to the source of the problem just as quick as possible, public opinion might lower and cause hysteria to rise even faster. If public opinion is pretty low, then you're also probably going to be the first people that are pointed to when the witch finders arrive. Now... Um, public opinion rises when you do when you do nice stuff. There's also a number of specialities and talents that will be able to do that for you. Um, but also hysteria and public opinion uh, can fall. So hysteria will fall when you you know you, you you manage to calm people. You defeat a monster and make it very public, or you put on an event such as a party as part of um, uh, some talents or some uh, 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 specialities, or just you know you put on a party on your own and you try and make people calm down a bit. But there is something which happens when hysteria crests certain points. And these are called auspices. An auspice is a bad thing that is going to happen when hysteria reaches a certain level. So I won't go through all of these, but at hysteria level 50, angry civilians are going to start taking to the streets. At 90, the witch finders will have arrived and will have started their trials. At 130, the witch is going to start some of the biggest black magic that there is available. And if somehow you fuck it so severely that you get to 200, Satan will walk the earth. Because Satan will be sitting there in hell and going like, Oh no, great time for me to just wreck this whole fucking county. <laughs> If Satan does walk the earth, it should be canonical for the rest of your timeline that you're playing in that that county doesn't have anyone go there. Because Satan walked there. There is... Yeah. There are only a few ways in the game to make Satan leave, and they're not very consistent. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) You are likely to be destroyed if you face Satan. Satan's just bigger than you. Uh, <laughs> so, um, that's that's the ticking time bomb. That's the thing that is sitting alongside the back of each scenario and each campaign to make sure that the, your Inquisitors are performing their investigations and not making sure that everybody is deathly afraid of the devilry. Um, but there are a few metrics to help you with how you're playing the game, and also a few things that that, that can be tracked to make sure that uh, progression uh, is occurring and you're able to um, traverse the world uh, simply and with sort of like a bit of mechanical guidance for how to slot in with talents and spe- specialities. Right, so one of these metrics is prestige. Characters gain ranks. They, as they gain experience in the Inquisition, they do useful things, they gain ranks. You may have listened to the Actual Play podcast if you haven't. We asked the questions, the three questions that determine how the investigation is going. If they've learned a new detail, uh, that may lead them closer to the threat. If they gained a new and useful ally against that threat, have they formed closer bonds with the fellow Inquisitors? Each of these will give prestige points. Prestige is also gained uh, as spoils after after certain confrontations. And... uh, in this way, players can keep an an eye on how they're actually doing in terms of getting towards the threat. Because if you get more prestige yeah, well, each uh, at the end of each session, you know that you're actually approaching an answer. 
If you, uh, yeah, the the three questions are there so that you can keep on track. And if if you're not answering the questions, um, then you know maybe maybe you're playing the game a different way. Maybe you, um, uh, it's you're not getting closer to the demon's hand. Hysteria is probably going to be rising at a rate that is um, uh, not so helpful to the pace of play. So it might be just uh, a time to start speeding things up or changing uh, changing play styles. Um, but there's also a nice little question in there of have you formed a closer bond with one of your fellow Inquisitors? And this is just a nice way of encouraging um, a bit of role-playing during the session and making sure that char- you get those nice moments between characters that sort of shed a bit more of a story of a meta-narrative between the players, which is always just quite nice. It is, it is. You... It is really great to, to, to figure out who your Inquisitor likes and doesn't like among your own party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another metric, um, time and travelling. Time is very important in demonology because you are against the clock. There is this ticking, ticking time bomb of hysteria. So we like to keep two phases, day, night, most investigation happens in the day, morning, afternoon, evening. These are three periods, then two periods of night, early night and late night. And there are, um, are roughly three hour periods of time. So morning, dawn until noon, afternoon, noon until sunset, evening, sunset until dusk. And then night is everything from dusk until dawn. <laughs> yeah i think i think afternoon is technically the longest of those um depending on what point you are in the year Mm. but also um uh they don't really uh, correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think they have o'clocks at this point in time Uh, they don't have many clocks no there there aren't very many clocks So, so people are just generally going by yeah what what time is it noon cool When shall we meet? When the sun is in the middle of the sky. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I mean, literally, in, in Shakespeare's Macbeth, the witches are like, when shall we three meet again? Ah, in this time of day? When, it, when, when it's rainy? <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Right, <laughs> round about now, next week. <laughs> uh, uh, what, what free lives? What project management nightmares? <laughs> yeah, uh, you didn't really have a clock in your house. If there wasn't a clock on the cathedral or a sundial nearby, you were like, "I bet it's this time." <laughs> um, when it when it when it comes to traveling, um, we've got we've got some examples of sort of like the, the the paces that you go. But one of the just unavoidably brilliant mechanics that you can you can use is going on Google Maps. Other services are available. Click in the location. You may like you to are. use Bing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you're gonna do it with Waze. In which case, fair play. Like Waze is good, but like, I, we we just we just go Google Maps, um, <laughs> and like you click on where you are, you click on the place you need to go, and just just go by that time frame. Just go by how long that's gonna take, because it is it's gonna be right. Um, they don't have any cars, so don't click on that option. And public transit is—it's uh, uh, <laughs> got a bit less infrastructure. I find uh, um, I find on foot and cycling are the best are the best metrics you get. On. Yeah, your cycling is your horseback riding. Your on foot is well, you know, they still had feet back. Then. <laughs> um, then we've got 
um, we've got ranges. And you can use ranges to abstract traveling as much as you can use it to track a fight. But your ranges, um, we've discussed a little bit beforehand, um, but can be used in these larger scales. But they, they, they go personal range, close range, mid range, and long range. Uh, so personal range is you can probably get there, um, uh, you know, within a phase and then get back or a period. You can get there within a period and then get back. Um, your close range is you can get there within a period. The mid range is it's going to take a bit more time. You probably can't get back from there um, or, you know, it's going to take another period to get back from there. And then finally, your, your long range is that it's going to take you most of the day to get to that place. Um, unless, of course, you've got a carriage or you've got some horses, in which case that those ranges can extend. But there's a nice way of abstracting time and travelling so that you're not thinking about um, uh, you're not thinking about the nitty-gritty of, oh, what hour are we in? Ah, which I personally have no time for. <laughs> I just go, oh, what time is it? I'll say that three hours have passed. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, then we've got time on a broader scale, which is the entire scenario that you're going to be playing in, which will probably take about a week of game time. It can occasionally take a few days. It can occasionally take a bit longer. But this week um, sort of defines uh, a scenario. And so a scenario is a single mission, a single devil's hand that you're going to be finding, or a single coven. And a campaign is going to be traipsing that across a much wider threat just like the um the dread bounties that we were talking about earlier uh so Siobhan, scenarios have a have a structure that we've been working with to them of just like how they're built and what you need to be thinking about inside them so you know what what have we got there the structure of scenarios is pretty standardized we open with an introduction with a letter from whoever has organized this mission for you giving you general information about what's going down. Then you have uh, a description of the region itself, with its uh, an overview of its geography, because that will be very helpful. Maps are very, mm-hmm. very helpful. We, we, we yeah. like to include a map with an overview of the region always, so that you can see where, you, where things are situated away from each other. We have the oddities in that region being described. Then we have the factions. We come to the threats. You give you, you give background to your threat, and then you say um, specifically who the threat is. So, for instance, in Wales, the threat that you've been dealing with is you now know the fan club of a certain poet. <laughs> Wildly so, uh, as you know, the uh, you've, you 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 have the background behind this, and then you know that the the demonic patron that that hand has. Now, again, if your threat isn't a, isn't a demon, within your threat, you can still say, well, who is but who is behind the uh, the people working working here? Then you have the members of uh, the organization that you are working against, and their servants, which is typically so. It's a bit. It's a. It's a bit like a reverse faction, and we'll get yeah. to factions just a little bit in a mm-hmm. section uh, se- uh, in a second. But um, you have sort of the, the factions that play in the in in the in the region, and then you get the sort of the evil factions that play in the region. Yeah, and of course, um, if you're following along in Bristol, of course, one of the factions that play is 
the um you know the, the people linked to the East India Trading Company, which is definitely an evil faction. <laughs> But they're not technically the villains here. They're the villains of the real world. They're the villains of they're the villains of history. But, uh, yeah, very much. Then we come <laughs> to that idea of time again. We have a section on outcomes and time frame. The outcomes are just a set of if this happens, then this. If this, then this. They're how things can go overall. And they're tied to the time frame. And that's divided by the threats time frame and the world at large. The threats moving by day by day, night by night. The world at large is, is, is governed by hysteria. If, uh, if you're a fan of the uh, you're Powered by the Apocalypse games, these are fantastic places to be putting your countdown clocks if you want to work with that. That's uh, definitely a nice way of playing. That's definitely a way that I play um, when I'm putting together a scenario for myself. I like to uh, uh, organise my my threat by little subheadings and say, "Uh, what will they do here? What will they do here? What will they do here? What are the consequences of these? And I like to keep a schedule of night actions. Hmm. With my I, however, am a massive improviser and will just do horrible things depending on where the players are. Uh- <laughs> I also uh, do say in the way that we've structured this that you can just move things up if you think, hey, yeah. I want to mess with them. And yeah, generally speaking, just do the thing that, 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 that drives the action along a bit further. We have the trail, the actual investigative part of this. We have artifacts and we have encounters. Now, I shall come to more of that a little later on. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be releasing plenty of pre-written scenarios and campaigns. Uh, This is mostly because we've got an abundance of ideas. And we've we've already played about like eight. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You've played so many already. Just, just by virtue of playing the game again and again and again, we have essentially written scenarios again and again and again, and we've found sort of a structure that works for us, but you are so very welcome to make your own, and we really encourage just playing with... Well, the, the first scenario that we created was based on uh, an article that one of us saw and said, um, here are these caves in fucking East Midlands that had some weird markings in. Let's do a demonology scenario around that. And that was that was pretty much the first one that was made. And, you know, do, do, do things like that. Find stories about weird bits of folklore. Or find stories about unexplained weird mysteries. And make something about it. Make, make some, um, some wild demonological horrible events happen. <laughs> it is it is the gaps in history that are waiting to be filled with demonology. Mm. Oh, love your little tagline. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, the, the, each scenario also has some some rewards to it that come at the end when you finally wrapped everything up in a nice little bow. Uh, scenarios have different severities. They are uh, beca- they are the severity of the. Demonic slash supernatural incursion. They are chilling, which is your easiest. We describe that as being 
lives are at stake, livelihoods, but most people will forget this in a few years. <laughs> I feel like that's definitely Wales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely the, the, the adventure being played in Wales by the illustrators and, and by Wilcox, where people will be like, ah, oh, remember that time the day became night once? Nah, you're misremembering that. <laughs> I didn't fucking happen. That's ridiculous. That'd be absurd. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a poetry competition. <laughs> we have it being perturbing, which is our our mid level of threat, where communities are threatened, and the locals will remember this for a while. So, like, if you go to this, uh, this is the this is the Isle of Wight. Actually, if if people go here and they ask, hey, what happened here? They'd be like, oh my god, this old Hamlet, it died. And most people will be like, yeah, sure thing. Uh, yeah, sure thing, yeah. people from the Isle of Wight. <laughs> but then we have the most threatening. We have the Tenebrous. Where the whole region is in peril. If the Inquisitors don't turn up, hell's gonna break loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these these are the ones that people are going to remember across the country for a very long time. If uh, if you want to do something about the fire of London, that would be tenebrous because mm. <laughs> it made it into the history book absolutely <laughs> forever. <laughs> and so I think there's also something malleable about this of like you can you can turn up to a chilling scenario and have it turn tenebrous, or you can turn up to a um, uh, uh, to a perturbing scenario and have it turn tenebrous eventually, but you've probably done a pretty bad job. Uh, <laughs> but what that will mean is that you will get greater prestige for this. Yeah, you'll you'll be so well known. Uh, <laughs> so maybe there's actually a a little bit of an incentive an el- to make uh, everything so much worse. an element of gamesmanship. <laughs> do you do you want the wild farce? <laughs> you'll get rewarded for it. <laughs> It, so um, just, about, just, so just, then we, just, just you know, how many are you willing to let die for that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, ooh, well, when it comes to number going up, <laughs> many. Um, so this 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 comes to the the crux of these scenarios and campaigns, which is the regions. So your regions of play can be um, uh, defined in a few ways, or, or so we've defined them in the book. We've got sort of a smattering of hamlets. You can have a very sort of small uh, rural setting where, you know, there's probably like a few villages maybe on the outskirts, but mostly you're dealing with um, cops to cops, with house to house. Mm. Um, You can have a few connected villages. Um, You can have a bustling town and its surroundings. You can have a fledgling city or some key boroughs of London herself. And this, um, the... Um, I would like to. These... I would like to jump in here and say that I tried to run a campaign that wasn't just some boroughs of London, and that was all of London, and it almost drove me insane. I would, I would yeah. beg you, beg you, do not play all of London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> London's London's very big at this point in time. Uh, just yeah, like pick your bits and stay in. There. <laughs> Um, so you can, uh, you can define these, so a smattering of hamlets, we've done a, uh, a campaign in the Outer Hebrides, a few connected villages, that feels a lot like Wales. Mm, very much um, so. 
a bustling town and its surroundings. Uh, that reminds me of probably Cresswell, which is in the base game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very... A fledgling city. We've had some in York, but there's also the actual play in Bristol. And then some key boroughs of London. Uh, keep it to that, because if you go larger, your brain explodes. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was a, a campaign that lasted literally months. And <laughs> went through two different scenarios. It must have lasted three months. Wow. Alright. <laughs> Jeez. Um, <laughs> I think I turned up for one session of that, fucked it and left. Um, I, uh, it was a campaign that literally everyone who was playing Demonology at that point played at least once. Incredible. <laughs> um, so this, this brings us to Oddities. When you're defining your region, you want to have things that are interesting there. And this involves just setting up some weird adjective nouns. <laughs> you want to find your um, your local church, um, but you also want to have a God-fearing congregation. Or you want to have a, a, you know, a lazy congregation. Or you want to have something that gives it a bit of flavour, uh, uh, something to bring it up. And this can literally be adjective noun. And that's all you really need to do. And as long as you've got like about 10, 12 of these, you're going to have a really rich region that you can be playing with and you can then be populating with your characters. You'll want like one or two characters for each oddity. So, you know, you've got your God-fearing congregation, but you want to have Mrs. Tweed who (laughs) runs um, uh, uh, runs the Sunday school uh, and you want to have um, yeah, me. Uh, how about I uh, use some examples from the Wales game that we've been playing? Oh, tell me about Fallen Howl. Fallen Howl! Fallen Howl! Right, so in terms of oddities, we had uh, the Herbert Mansion, where the Herbert family lives on Hafford Estate. And there we had is one of our NPCs, Dr. Fallen Howl. An admirably fat, impossibly fussy man. Mm. I love him. I love him so much. I tried to immediately get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> or you have uh, the Chetalbert uh, pub in Tregaren, a well-appointed appointed lodging for poets, where Mr. and Mrs. Talbot, uh, uh, the, the proprietors there, Look like two upright bears. Ah, oh yeah, they 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 feel like it as well. I haven't heard that description, but like I've definitely felt that description. <laughs> uh, and, and here's um uh, uh you know if you've got those interesting characters and if you've got those interesting oddities, then you are going to have an interesting thing that you can you, you are going to have an interesting. Uh, region that you can draw a lot of inspiration on just on the fly you don't need to give all of these you know diligent patient backstories but you can look at your description of two upright bears and you know what you're getting yourself into yeah Um, absolutely and if you if you've drawn all of that together beforehand it won't take you more than about half an hour to come up with a really interesting area and region Um, and then you can start to populate it with your threat, and part of that includes putting down your trail of artifacts and encounters. Artifacts are key case-breaking moments. These are the, the things that will really lead you towards towards your threat. We have in 
In the case of Wales, as now has become our example, we have four different artefacts, which you have uncovered a few of. You've uncovered... Uh, so, for instance, they can be some letters, they can be people, they can be places, these artefacts that lead you towards breaking your threat. You have... Uh, the squabbling retainers is an artifact that you have in Wales. You've discovered the, the the argument going on between two families of farmers about who gets to marry the lord's daughter. <laughs> uh, it's 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 these little sort of like fun details which can start to point you in the way um, that that you need to be going. Of you know, for example, in the Bristol campaign, we've got that um, uh, that big show off between the constabulary and between the merchant venturers and the hand is trapped somewhere in between that that we haven't quite seen the the payoff of that yet but also we've got um uh you you can have these pop up during play don't feel like your artifacts need to um need to be all predefined of i i plenty of the time improvise and add sort of like yeah you find something of interest here yeah, that can lead yeah. you further in and uh from artifacts, we go to key encounters. Not everything needs an encounter. That would be ludicrous. But there will be a number of uh, of key places and key people who, when you meet, it is good as a medium to have have a framework for things that can happen in this in this meeting. For instance, in Wales, we have. Uh, the Herbert Library is in itself a whole encounter, investigating that space, meeting the characters in the Herbert Mansion, seeing the crime scene there. We have meeting Tom Sean Casey, the uh, the Welsh Robin Hood. That's an encounter. Yeah, you can have um, uh, just sort of like a few pointers to direct you if you if you if you want it for uh, how a scene might 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 turn out what sort of events might be happening when you arrive and it just gives the world a bit more of a populated edge uh, mm. to it that that, that 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 gets quite rich and that people can interact with in 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 nice fun ways so um with that you get um one of the important bodies of a region which is the factions these are how you organize your npcs so you're usually going to have two to four factions, maybe, um, maybe a bit more if you're going to be in, you know, all of London. But you want to have that sort of range so that you can have these big overarching forces that are battling against each other. You want to loop um, around five or six NPCs into each faction, bit more, bit less, depending on sort of like how big or important they are. And they can be either criminal, public or private so you can have your criminal organizations, which for Bristol is the Merchant Venturers mm -hmm. are working with um, the East India Trading Company. You've got your public one, which is the Constabulary of Bristol, and you've got your private one, which is the McLeods. That way you have just sort of like a, a different way of spanning those NPCs, putting them together and giving them overarching conflicts that can start to loop people together and give them motivations to sell each other out, to have conflicts with each other, or to help the player characters for different reasons. You can also, as player characters, manipulate these factions. There are characters who's, who a big part of their character is playing with factions. Hmm. Yeah, lots, lots, lots of powers to do with um, making large organisations do what you want. Um, you know, sometimes the noble or the charlatan can uh, uh, position themselves as being in charge of the factions and just take them over. 
But those are the frameworks, the ways that you can piece together scenarios and sessions, the metrics that you can use to track uh, uh, details. You've got the hysteria in public opinion that is that um, thing that sits behind the campaign. Uh, the only other things that really uh, feature in... We've essentially covered a chapter of the book. And the only other things that feature in this chapter of the book are the details about going down fairy roads and going into the dreaming. Um, and we've covered those in a previous session. So those are the mechanics that the mediums will use to make uh, a um, scenario and campaign work. And those are the uh, tools that you can use and will be outlined in demonology. Wow. So there we are. There we go. There, there is our last law and mechanic section. So let's uh, take a little moment and come back and chat to some last members of our team. We return with John Chadwick to ask him a few questions about how it's been working on the project and how it's been playing the project. Hello, John. Hello. Hi. Nice to be here. Uh, so, so John, do you, do you want to just sort of like introduce yourself, who you are, what you do, what your pronouns are at? Yeah, sure. So I'm John. I'm he, him. And uh, so I know Alex and Siobhan from our time at the University of Birmingham. Uh, I studied uh, creative writing there and then wildly nearly kind of three and a half years later I am uh, I'm in an arts career. No, I'm just kidding. Of course I'm not in an arts career. <laughs> <I'm>, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, started, uh, I started learning to code and uh, I now work as a data scientist and that's relevant to kind of my involvement here because i'm doing some technical stuff um with uh with with programming which i'm sure we'll sort of we'll talk about yeah, <laughs> uh to come to that technical stuff with uh with programming we'll, we'll talk about it right now actually oh, <laughs> <wow. That's> fantastic <laughs> uh precisely uh we we say that you are our web designer, our bot maker, but what what does that entail? Okay, so basically, when you um, when we first went into lockdown, um, you guys were kind of how it all came about. Was you guys were looking to do playtesting because you've been working very hard on the the system, um, but obviously playtesting brings its challenges and doing that virtually kind of doubles those challenges and uh, the same thing is true for a lot of tabletop gamers kind of um 
God, real cringe at the word gamers, but it, it is actually <laughs> real usage here. Um, yeah, there's, it, the same thing happened to a lot of people who play on other systems, like Dungeons & Dragons. So they all have uh, tools to help us play online, um, whether it be kind of virtual dice rolling, or, or um, even better, you can have systems like, for example, Roll20, which is a popular Dungeons & Dragons website, which kind of uh, visually or through a text chat um, helps you kind of visualize what's going on in the game. Um, and I kind of, uh, as I was um, hearing of you guys going into playtesting, I was like, oh, that'd be really cool if you guys had something like that. And um, you were using, uh, when I've played with you, we've used Discord. Um, and Discord basically has these thing called bots, which um, you type commands and a bot will kind of just give you stuff. So you can have music bots where you you give it a YouTube video and it will play the music of that YouTube video into the chat. Um, so basically I was like, huh, well, I know that that's a thing for Dungeons and Dragons players. I wonder if it could be a thing for that. Um, and a little bit of research revealed that these are coded in a language called JavaScript, um, which I had started picking up about a year beforehand. Um, and I, was, I, I hadn't started my current role where I work in data. Um, and to be to be honest, I don't really use JavaScript very much, but but I was looking to pick up any coding experience that I could to kind of embellish my CV. So I said, "Hey, you know what? I'll have a crack." And uh, as it turned out, I was I was kind of able to implement something that that worked and could work for you guys. Um, and uh, yeah, so I I did some development on it. Obviously, starting a full time job, I started this job in September as kind of stalled that slightly but um obviously being a part of the kickstarter stuff anything that we can kind of do to enable people to play virtually obviously increases access and it exposes more people to the game so it's um it's a great thing to be able to do that was incredibly yeah, that's, professional that's so <laughs> comprehensive um, yeah really really um really nice and really cool i think i think it's so um it never even crossed my mind the thought of having a Discord bot because because we use generally we use Avre, um, mm -hmm. which is just sort yeah. of good to be like a thing that you can have roll dice for you, um, and it has sort of like a lot of D and D uh, functionality. But the the idea of sort of removing as many sort of boundaries to accessing the rules and being on the fly with a lot of um, uh, a lot of that information of it is one of the things that can get in get in the way of play. The easiest, not having the rule book up there all the time, or you know, not knowing where to search for something. So if you can just sort of exclamation mark rule, and then the rule itself, and just have that pop up, I think that's absolutely incredible. And the fact that you sort of like came to us with saying that was a possibility is just like so exciting. Yeah, I think a big part of um, of kind of D and D in my experience of tabletop is is kind of how um, when someone like when someone rolls a twenty. It's it's like to to somebody to the to the uneducated to the uninitiated that that means nothing. But it's kind of like um, knowing that that is kind of like a universal language, and it's like that's a success, and like everyone on the table will have some reaction mm. to a twenty being rolled. So I think first of all, it's kind of the visibility of like when we can't all be in the same space, we can't all roll our dice together. So it's actually the idea of rolling 
rolling dice or completing these probability tests with an audience via a Discord chat. But then it's also kind of, um, I think it's the instant feedback as well. It's, um, I, 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 you know, when you have beginners to the game, and I, I've even been in this position with kind of demonology where I do a roll and, uh, and I kind of go, oh, did I win? <laughs> and somebody has to t- somebody has to tell me because i'm obviously i'm I'm a beginner to the game but like mm-hmm. um also having it where it can sort of say well no here is what you rolled so you can see that but also it's like um based on like a simple concept like tests they are they are generally binary it's pass or fail and just having that instant feedback and be like did i pass or did i fail instead of having to sort of decipher something in between um it just enhances the playing experience and um yeah it's it, it, so like being able to do that i know i sort of knew it was possible when i threw early discovery and experimentation and um it, it was a real joy for me starting out to be kind of discovering these things and having that initial you always have these eureka moments where you kind of go oh i made something work that's great but then showing it to you guys and it's you know it makes me that think of where like you know technology in a higher form is is basically akin to magic and it's uh, <laughs> like that's that's crazy i have no idea how that works but it's amazing how have you done that and i'll just be like that's me <laughs> yeah you, you're you're a resident magician yeah. <laughs> that's what it felt like As, speaking of your first experience playing how have you found playing demonology and and who is your character ah so well uh my the, the the experience has been great. I've been playing a guy called Elmer Kosanov, who is uh, Russian Orthodox, um, and he's a Presidium Knight class. And I basically um, I pick the Presidium Knight class often because in D and D I'm usually the guy that is a bit of a I wouldn't say an agent of chaos, although it definitely <laughs> did turn out that way in this campaign. Um, but, but I'm the guy who I tend to play something that's relatively simple, um, that's relatively pared down, like the the fighter class comes to mind in D anD D, that doesn't have a lot of um, extra abilities to add flair, and the flair is all my imagination. And um, so, a, a great story that I'll always tell, which is like my style as a D anD D player. I once um, we were allowed to purchase equipment before an adventure began. And usually we would only add access to a small amount of equipment, but our DM this time allowed us access to a large amount of equipment. So I bought a full like rope grappling set with a hook and and pulleys and all kinds of stuff, and it 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 kind of both enraged him and and was a great source of humor that every time we walk into a new room he'd be like oh yeah so you walk into a new room there's there's three guards it's medium light and i said but what are the ceilings like in this room (laughs) you're not going to use john you're not going to use the grappling hook i was i've been telling you this whole time that it was a pointless person (laughs) i will i want to try and just find ways to just like um to, to 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 bring dynamics that like a dm from like a from a medium or a dm perspective like they haven't necessarily seen and like force someone to kind of think on their feet and and from a medium or dm perspective myself like i love when people do that to me um uh, I, I know not everyone shares that but it, <laughs> it, 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 it's worth it I, I like take the average of all the time all the people i've played with i'd say i'm more fun to play with 
instead of a real annoyance to play with. <laughs> I think I, th- I think you've also your, your character is one of the great characters sort of sitting in the middle of that um uh, that Venn diagram of um chaotic um orthodox Eastern European characters and Presidium knights with more weapons than sense. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just sort of that perfect Venn diagram spot of just like really capturing both of those elements that that, that, that pops up a lot a lot in this game. We have at yeah, least so... at least five Russian Orthodox characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as soon as, as soon as the options there, that there's just like a set of people who are just like immediately yes. <laughs> what has been your um your favorite moment using Elmer, Agent of Chaos? I'm, you, we're just going to tell the library story, aren't we? We're just going to tell That's the library say- story. Yeah, we are. Huh? You, you, you're throwing me the ball, and I have to strike it out of the stadium. <laughs> and the ball is the library story. The library story. Um, so, so basically, the, our, our party went to uh, confront a man who we, um, whose father was. Um, we basically caught red-handed, and we knew that he was a badden. So we went to confront his son in this this large manor house, and um, obviously we were, we weren't necessarily sure what to expect because obviously if you walk into a rich man's house and you say your father's a badden, then he might say, "Get out," um, <laughs> as opposed to, "Let me help with your inquiries." So Elmer detected this, and um, especially when we arrived at the house. I um, well, Elmer's very attached with weapons, and I was um, I was made to give up my weapons. Um, although to be fair, I deliberately took them out as a show of force, which I knew would <laughs> go like in my mind. I was like, "Well, that's a stupid thing to do. You're just adding fuel to a fire that is yet to be lit." But from Elmer's perspective, he's like, "No, I take out gun. <laughs> <laughs> I show them I mean business." So. Um, so anyway, they took my gun off me, and that was already a bad start. And then we went in, and I went, well, he's got all the security outside. He's hiding something. So I snuck off from the group, and I started exploring. Um, and I found a library. Um, so basically, um, as it comes to pass, my I find some useful things in the library, um, in kind of this hidden compartment, which is especially strange. Um, I... Uh, but I knew that I, without even looking, I was like, well, the, the fact that it's hidden is probably incriminating. Um, and the players downstairs, the rest of the party, they go in, they say, your dad's a badden. And he says, get out of my house. And I say, uh, and he also says, um, oh, also, I have, because I'm also a badden, I have these magical powers and I can tell that your friend is snooping around. And he should clear off as well. So uh, basically, a, a group of uh, my companions plus a couple of guards come to escort me from the library. And uh, but kind of knowing that this is probably going to happen, and knowing that I probably can't abscond with these books in a fair fight, let's say, um, they took my gun at the door. They're certainly not going to let me leave without searching me after I've been <laughs> snooping around. And and my solution to this was I uh, started a fire in the <laughs> library, and um, and basically when they arrived, they said, "Oh, come on, we have to leave." And my response was, "There's a fire, everybody run!" And and just sowed, I just I just sowed chaos 
and then we we ran uh my friend fell i went back to escort him we were both wounded but ultimately we got out okay and with the books and they were helpful so i i think that's like that's sort of the perfect plan when you say it but when you're doing it everyone's like wait what, <laughs> what? why are you starting a fire it's like well then this is the baddies place I need to get out without being searched. It's oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah that's that's the kind of that's the kind of thing where it's just like it's 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 madman thinking, but also like um, that other I don't necessarily know the famous phrase. This ain't exactly Sun Tzu, but it's kind of you know how do they know what you're gonna do next if you don't know what you're gonna do next? <laughs> Very much subscribe to that doctrine. I think. I think that might be fight the enemy where where he is not. <laughs> uh, and I can I can I can absolutely verify for anyone listening that I, as the medium at the time, didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> I like I, um, uh, I I think at an earlier point in this campaign I was also playing, um, and I remember coming into a room to see you. Uh, uh, were you burning some witchcraft artifacts in the just the kitchen fire? No, it was. <laughs> no, that was a good one. That was a good one because so basically, I um, I Elmer is a Elmer is a man of medicine, um, in his in his mind, um, <laughs> and Elmer uh, had basically um, there was a uh. What was it now? So, so, so there was this kid, and he was having nightmares, and he was mm-hmm. the son of a of, of an important family of a um, in business terms we'd call them a stakeholder, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he um, he was having nightmares, and um, I had basically said that <laughs> there was talk that it could do could be due to a well on the property. Um, giving up some nasty water. He was drinking the water. It was making him have bad dreams. Now that theory, like, was um, I believe we searched the well, found nothing suspicious. So it was sort of like widely um, discredited that that was going to be the cause. I, However, I really love that it was. It was ah, I've come up with a reason, like just off the top of my head, to uh, 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 put away this idea of what's happened. And then we had to investigate the reason that we invented. It <laughs> immediately but, false. But, but, but that's the thing: is that Elmer, being a man of medicine, knows the power of uh, of the placebo effect. And um, so, so basically, to kind of the way that um, Elmer's a man of actions and not words. And to kind of say, like, to to have these kind of um, sort of silver tongued party members being like oh yes yes and we'll sort it and we'll investigate and stuff like that i was like they need they need some kind of payment up front they need proof that we mean business and the way that i did this is i said i'm going to purify some water and perform a ritual on it to make it holy water and that he should drink that instead of the well water and that would kind of be a thing and it was more a way to kind of a power move if you will to kind of say we mean business and i will do that um however it i put it in a flask and then i was like i'm gonna boil this water and it um so obviously they have a kitchen and they have like they have 
people who work in the kitchen. So I sort of barged my way in there and I was like, I'm going to boil this water. And it was like, oh, do you want to put it in a pan? I said, no, it must be in a flask. And I said, well, how are you going to do it? You know, there's a fire like this is in this time period. Like, how the hell are you going to boil this water in a flask? It's like you don't have laboratory equipment. And I said, that's okay. I'll just hold the flask (laughs) over the fire. And um, I I I burnt my hand. <laughs> long story short, long story short, tried to boil water by holding a flask over a file, burnt hand. Yeah, incredible, um, incredible. Um, I think I think you also scared many people in that kitchen while doing it, including oh, including the young boy who you were trying to make feel better. You gave him a look that you thought was reassuring, but was in fact terrifying. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think I, I think the thing when you give looks like that, context is very dependent. I think the look could have been reassuring as 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 anything else, but but when you're holding a flask over a fire with your bare hands, <laughs> any look is yeah. <laughs> that's not reassuring. That's definitely got a terrifying aura to it if you're not careful. <laughs> Which brings me uh, on to uh, how is um how is playing informed the future work that you will do on uh, on the bot in terms of what things do you as a player think uh, are essential to find quickly? Yeah, so I think um, the biggest thing is the ability to kind of know, knowing, having to hand what your abilities do. And a character sheet is a big part of that. Um, so the, the bot has... Um, the skeleton of if not fully fleshed out yet but the idea of like a virtual character sheet so it's gonna kind of have things where you can view it in note form so it's gonna say for example (coughs) the name of an ability but it's also going to utilize the fact that you can type kind of help or something like that and the name of that ability and it's going to bring up what it actually does um so kind of having those things to hand i think i think kind of speeds up gameplay because you can quickly kind of eliminate it's like well this spell's not really applicable to this situation um and i think the other thing as well is um is Im- implementing um as it stands at the moment the bot ha- I, i've kind of worked from the bottom up so i'm working on getting all the character stuff implemented all of the classes all of the abilities and how they'll work and then on top of that i'm going to build kind of the actual doing tests and the actual dice rolling aspect of it um and the, th- the theory is is that obviously when you say oh i'm going to use this ability then you can kind of just see whether that ability has been successful or not be it an attack or a spell or that kind of thing and that kind of um that gives you that that instant feedback as well um so you can be like okay well i'm gonna do it did it work did it not and then you can kind of go on to you can go straight on to assessing um the effects of something as opposed to the the hypotheticals of something which i think is something that like as as a player and as elmer like not a fan of hypotheticals it's like i don't want to sit there and plan all day i want to go steaming in and and set libraries on fire really (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i you definitely must have um uh i can imagine it would be a really difficult task to um just design a bot like this completely in the dark and completely in the void and i imagine that um sort of like knowing um knowing how it works sort of like from a from a functional standpoint playing the game you you get to see sort of 
what processes you want quick, what sort of like feedback you want to have of like what you were saying about their successes earlier to immediately sort of like roll those dice and have have them say back to you just like two successes. Um, yeah. You know, that that um, that process of play must really um, sort of like help clarify that. I think that's really cool. I think it's also seeing, because um, <clears throat> even since I've started working on the bot, like you guys have, have changed a lot in terms of yeah, I mean it's 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 evolving and I think it will continue to evolve even after um it it leaves your guys' hands as its creators because that's kind of the typical style of these games is that as soon as they get put into the hands of other mediums that are not the rule creators, you know, rules get bent and broken and stuff like this. Um so it it's kind of part of that natural evolution. But I think that the the good thing with the bot is that I want um I think we in technical terms, we call it like hard coding, where if, if things are kind of stuck in a certain way and you say, for example, you wanted to add a new background, um, and then if I had to sort of like take everything in pieces to add in this one block of Lego and sort of say, ah, okay, there, and then add everything back in, but kind of making it accessible to you guys um, so that like if you want to add something new, then you can do that. And if you want to change rules and stuff like that, then the flexibility is there. And part of that as well is kind of a big thing where I think coming from a more English background and going into coding, I hit a lot of this in my professional work where it's kind of um, like this, it, 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 it might be the cleverest, smartest tool in the world, but if only three people can use it, it's useless. So it needs to kind of be in a form where you guys can access it and change it. And you, you don't necessarily know how to know how it works, but you need to have these little points where you can go in and be like oh this is a list of backgrounds and now i can change one to another or i can add a new one and then the bot will just do all the clever stuff for you excellent because i'm never going to learn javascript (laughs) (laughs) i don't even care how simple a coding language it might be i'm not gonna do it boss Uh, I'm I'm always the person to just go like oh i've got to learn javascript today now Uh, (laughs) You know, for this project, I've already learned like InDesign and um, God, probably other things. I can't; they can't come to mind right now. Ah, uh, the thing but, uh... <laughs> I do have to do um, to give spoilers to anyone who is listening uh, is I'll be editing down streams for our YouTube channel, and I'll be having to use Linux on my Chromebook because Ooh. nothing else. <laughs> It turns out the functionality of Chromebooks for anything besides Google Apps is low. <laughs> I'm very glad I got the um, the podcast job rather than the stream video job. <laughs> Enjoy, Siobhan. <laughs> so I have to oh. I have to start the Linux spacer, and then I have to find a module in the Linux that lets me use a video editor, and then I have to use that, and then transfer it back over from the Linux spacer once I've done with it. I don't I, even saying it, I've just started sweating. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 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 in like I know I don't I don't mean this as like a brag, but I know JavaScript and forget that. Uh, uh, I think that is is a fine point to wrap up this interview (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much John for your time today no problem 
and that is us. That is us um, for today, uh, where we've had some uh, lovely discussions about some of the worst monsters and beings imaginable, as well as the rules that uh, sort of sit as the gears that turn play. Um, uh, so this is the end of our Unmasked series as well. Um, so thank you very much for listening through that. Oh boy, we've done it. We've yeah, talked. We, yeah, we have. We've talked about almost all of the lore. Yeah, we've 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 gone over quite a lot of stuff. I mean, it's quite hard to um, it's quite hard to know um, uh, where all of our conversations about the lore begin and end because it's sort of just been a, a continuous stream for about two years. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I I can absolutely clarify that um, my partner is sick of it, as are all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> but here we are, and we've, we've come to the end of um, uh, talking about the law, and now you can just have it in a nice little parceled book in the future. Um, uh, 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 but yeah, thank you so much for listening. If you've listened to everything, thank you for listening to everything. If you listen to just this, thank you for listening to just this. If you listen to this and the actual play, then thank you for listening to roughly 30, 40 hours of content. Um, at least in the 30 region. At least in the yeah, 30. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's a solid, um, anime adaptation of a manga. uh but but yeah it's been lovely to have you um and you've heard it a million times before but you're gonna hear it one more time uh you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram at demonology rpg that's uh d-a-e monology with an i-e instead of a y demonology rpg you can also email us in at demonology rpg at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you Music that you will be hearing is from Tasha Soffler, and the brilliant graphic design is by Oscar Russell. So with that, we are done. So for the last time, I've been Siobhan. Hi, and I've been Alex. Bye-bye. Goodbye. I'll put it at the end and put a little note, but like, don't listen to this if you don't want spoilers for the prestige and shit talking of now you see me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, no, I'll just use that. This is that note. <laughs> Three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's so few claps left to do. Uh <laughs> <laughs>
Ah, so I gotta get all the fun I can out of them. Uh, you can't see that because this is a podcast, but I made my hands kiss like they were little animals before I made them clap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, oh my god, the best thing happened of, um, the, I I think, I think I put in the chat, but like, it was literally at the start of the episode where Piotr gets fucked by those salamanders. Um, Fionn's like, we don't have enough Josh failing content. <laughs> Josh doesn't fail enough. And I was I was listening back to it like, no fucking way, Fionn. Come on. <laughs> St- stop predicting literally everything that happens. <laughs> Don't know what it is. He's just like, he's on the wavelength. He's just got it. He he's uh. he he is inside the game's matrix. <laughs> um this is where we learn that he's been manipulating us to make it this whole time. Um, if he's just been sort of saying things, and we've been going like, "Oh yeah, good idea. Oh, I've made a game. Oh no, uh, we've we've been now. You see me suggested. <laughs> oh, I'm very glad. Uh, oh, all the way through watching the Prestige the other night, um, I was saying to Elliot, "Is that? Oh, is this like now you see me too? Because now you see me too is my favourite film. <laughs> so, uh, so I really, it, it reminds me a bit of now you see me too." Because it's about sort of magicians going like, wow, clever. So I hope it's like, now you see me too. <laughs> oh, I was quite proud. I, I predicted half of the film very early on. Um, but I didn't get the... Um, uh, Christian Bale is also Christian Bale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Oh, for, uh, sorry anyone who hasn't seen The Prestige. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's enough of a, like... That's enough of a vague spoiler. <laughs> that, like, what do you mean Christian Bale is also Christian Bale? <laughs> of course he is! <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, I, 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 I will cut this out, but I did guess. Uh, oh, at first I was like, oh, well, of course Hugh Jackman, and this is like 20 minutes in, I was like, so Hugh Jackman's not dead, and he's done it to fuck with Christian Bale. <laughs> um, and, um, and then I was like, oh, is he... As he killed his 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 twin, <laughs> like the 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 out of work actor, because this was before the cloning. And I was like, you know what? I'm happy not predicting the cloning. <laughs> Charlie was speaking about it last night. Of um, uh, it it is just like, ooh, it's not magic. It's all just misdirection. And then David Bowie comes in and does magic. <laughs> uh. <laughs> It's, uh, it, it is the perennial problem of showing stage magicians on screen. In the end, it always just ends up being actual sorcery. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to misdirect? Well, it was magic all along. Oh, fuck off. Uh, my, um, confirmed. My, my... Five out of five of the stage magicians, and now you see me, are just actual fucking wizards. I don't care what you say. <laughs> Every, all of them at one point in those two films does something where you're like, that's just sorcery. I, I said, I said when, as soon as the cloning came in, I was like, oh, is this the Nolans exploring that idea of teleportation? Where it's like, oh, you have to, like, are you the same person if you're rematerialized somewhere else and your old form is destroyed? And it's like, the Nolans went an extra stage and was like, no, if you see your clone, you want to fucking kill him. <laughs> <laughs> If you see your clone, you're immediately going to shoot them. 
Um, the last five minutes is talking about the prestige. So, uh, <laughs> so let's start talking about I think it's prime content. <laughs>